So today we're going to stay in the New Testament and we're going to conclude with probably one of the most fundamental, uh, most most influential and uh, very prevalent uh, character of the New Testament, second to Jesus, and I would say that is the Apostle of Paul. And Paul is obviously very influential in the sense of what we know church as of now, mission trips. There's so many things that we draw back to Paul. Um, and so we're going to be focusing in on the character of Paul, and we'll do a little bit of a case study and pull something out of it for today. Uh, of course, uh, like I mentioned, you know, there's a lot of things that we could talk about. Uh, obviously, the majority of the New Testament books were letters written by Paul, uh, are accredited to Paul, and so uh, there's that. Um, but we're going to be looking at a different aspect of Paul's life, um, and it's going to point to a reflection of the way that he lived out and carried his life. So by the end of today's sermon, this is the message that I want you to guys have. It's this. It says, uh, as we look at how Paul went through tremendous hardship in his ministry for Christ, we find that he was content and had peace in all circumstances. And even so, in the worst seasons, we too can find contentment in Christ over our circumstances. So to start our sermon for today, I want to read uh, our scripture reading. And from there, we're going to break down and pull away uh, something incredible. And we'll backtrack a little bit and we'll pull out the context and all that fun stuff. Um, now, the thing about our scripture reading for today is that it's a very commonly used section. Uh, and there's a verse that, that sticks out. And I'm sure as you guys heard and read the scripture reading for today for yourself, I'm sure you were like, oh yeah, I know, I know this verse. Like this verse is very well known. But what we're referring to is Philippians 4, 13, right? Uh, and we typically focus in on that. But we're going to be focusing in on a little bit more. Um, and we're going to actually read from the NIV today. I know I've been reading from New King James uh, Version for a while. But today's uh, passage, I feel like, uh, is very beautiful and, and simplified to the point where it's uh, and simplified but holds its integrity. Uh, let's read Philippians 4, 11 to 13 together once again. And this is what it says. It says, I am not saying this because I am in need or I have learned to be content when whatever the circumstances or for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all, the, all this through Him who gives me strength. Now, uh, I almost read it in a, in a different translation. I had to catch myself for a second. Uh, but before we can kind of grasp uh, the gist of this passage uh, and understand how this verse was uh, really a driving force in his life, um, I think it's important that we look at the roots of who Paul was uh, and how his journey and the progression uh, that Paul uh, takes to help put things into a better perspective. So first of all, before Paul became Paul, we know that his name was Saul, right? Saul of Tarsus. So Saul was uh, a Greek-speaking Jew uh, from the city of Tarsus, which is actually a city uh, near the southeast corner of Asia Minor, which is now, if, if you look at your map now, you're not going to find Asia Minor, but you'll find uh, present-day Turkey, and that's where he's from. 
Now, we don't know when he was born, but a lot of scholars like to say that he was either born around the same time as Jesus or possibly a few years after Jesus. And so uh, that's kind of where scholarship likes to date him. Now, Saul as a child uh, and throughout his youth, uh, he was known to have learned some kind of trade. Um, and we see throughout his ministry, uh, and it's kind of his side hustle, something that he does on the side. And if you notice, if you read through the scripture, we know that Saul not only was a missionary, but to keep himself financially afloat, he was a tent maker, right? And so we know very clearly that that doesn't just come out of nowhere, but in that culture and in that time, this was something that they would learn over a progression of a period of time. Uh, and it was a trade that they would pick up from their youth, from their parents or from the area. And so we know that Saul learned that kind of trade of that kind, some kind of craft where he learned to work with his hands, right? Um, Another interesting thing, another little bit of historical context about Saul, uh, is that through his letters, or eventually Paul, um, we read that, that in the different letters that he composed and he wrote, we find that he had a very good understanding and a very firm control and command over uh, the, the text of the Jewish scripture, which means that he most likely studied from a very young age uh, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, and he was very educated in the sense that he was it wasn't unknown to him he was very familiar with the scriptures um, and he learned the traditions probably from a very young age and so this was something that that shaped and and embedded his every every movement and, and everything that he did in his life right um, we also notice uh, when you uh, look at his writings uh, if you look at the Greek his Greek uh, he was very sound, very grammatically sound. Um, and we notice it's not the most elegant Greek, uh, which shows that he probably didn't come from the wealthiest family because the wealthier you were back then, the higher level of education you were able to receive and the quality of your education was totally different. Uh, so we notice that there are little stumbling blocks in his Greek, but he has a very solid, uh, like better than survival language uh, skill. Uh, and and um, it, for his time and his place and for his context, uh, this is very good, right? Uh, this is like A+. Um, but anyways, uh, if we fast forward out of his childhood, so knowing that that's kind of this background and where he grew up and how he grew up, we know that Saul, for the first half of his adulthood, lived the life of a Pharisee, right? We don't know too much about the details of, of this lifestyle and what he did and whatnot, but we know that throughout his story, based on his own testimony, that he was very adamant about the persecuting of the Jewish people who had accepted Jesus as their Messiah and the Son of God. And according to the book of Acts and in his many testimonies that he shares, we find an account where he's holding the clothes, the cloaks of those that are stoning the first Christian martyr, uh, Stephen, right? Then, uh, we fast forward a little bit in his life, on the way to the city of Damascus, uh, while he was on this mission to kill and to persecute all these people uh, for believing in God or believing in Jesus, uh, this is where Saul has this conversion moment. And this is where he has this encounter with Jesus. And basically, his life is radically changed and he turns his name from Saul into Paul. And the rest is history, right? We see him being that missionary, going out into the world uh, and going on various trips, spreading this gospel message of how Jesus changed his life. 
Now, something that I always found is interesting, if you look at the vigor and the, the, the character of, of Paul, in this extreme encounter that he has with Jesus uh, on his road to Damascus, right, this light that he encounters, we, we find that, that, yes, his life was radically changed, right? But, but what, what's interesting to me is that his character and his personality actually doesn't change too much, right? While he's going about killing people that are Christian and arresting them, he's very like determined and very like focused on getting the task done. And then we see after his his Jesus moment that he does the exact same thing, but rather he's not out there trying to capture people and kill people. He's out there trying to adamantly spread the gospel message, right? Um, and so... We see throughout ministry, his passion and his dedication, his determination remain the same. But the only thing that changes is the cause, the reason and why he does that. And I think that's so beautiful. And I think that's a reflection of how God can use you. That yes, God may change you radically to become a totally different person. But God can also take your, your characteristics and your personality and use it for his good, right? To change the purpose, to change the the, the main goal in why you are a certain way, right? And so we see that in Paul, and I thought that was very interesting. But anyways, for the next 20 years or so, um, and 20 to 30 years or so, we find Paul working his way uh, from west, from Syria to Greece. And then through this, he's, you know, as he's going along, he's establishing congregations um, in cities in the Asia Minor and a few in Eastern Europe, uh, specifically two in Macedonia and then one in Greece, right? And he occasionally stops by Jerusalem and Antioch, uh, which is in Syria, and he revisits some of his former churches. And this is what he's doing, right? Post his conversion experience. And I think that's, that's incredible, right? Where his life now, his second part of his life or the latter half of his life is radically transformed. The purpose and the cause uh, that he was fighting for was no longer in, in trying to eliminate those that believed in Jesus, but to further grow the kingdom of God. Right now, in many of his journeys, and we're not going to go through all of the, his journey, but in many of his journeys, uh, we find that Paul goes through a lot of different rough patches, and some of those rough patches that we find him are in prison. Right, uh, but one of the most interesting and by far baffling things for me when I look at the life of Paul, and and as we look at it today, uh, that none of this suffering that he goes through, none of the challenges. None of the difficulties that he faced, uh, none of these things phased him. None of this. No uncertainty, no pain, nothing deterred him from what he was doing. Right. One of my favorite passages uh, from, from Paul's writing, um, and actually if I think about it, there's just so much that we can pull from Paul's writing that it's hard to pinpoint one of the things that I like. But one of the things that really catches my eye all the time, and one of my favorites uh, is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39. Uh, and I could honestly sum up today's sermon just reading this and just closing it there, but we're not going to do that. But let's read uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39. And this is what it says. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughterhouse. 
Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And church, this, this passage, man, is so beautiful. And I think even so much more relevant to us now today. But we find here, as Paul's talking to the church in Rome, he's sharing that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate him from this love of God. Right? And it's odd, because death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, right? None of these things, nothing phases him, right? Now remember this, when Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, uh, he's writing when he's in the city of Corinth, right? Or in Corinth. And this was during his, most likely his third mission trip or missionary journey. Uh, And this is before the imprisonment that he finds himself in at Rome. And ultimately, which, you know, fast forward leads to his death. Uh, And I mean, this wasn't the end of his suffering, right? He has still suffered quite a bit, but this is not yet the end. And, And yet in retrospect, right, in hindsight, in looking back at everything that's been happening in his life, okay, Paul understands that the death and the power of God's love, uh, which is found in the life of Jesus Christ, helps him stay positive and helps him make this connection that God's love, okay, nothing can separate us from that, even those things that he has been going through, right? And, and, um, I want to ask you a question now. Uh, let me ask you this question. How do you react when life is hard? How do you react to life when there seems to be failure after failure? So as you guys know, and as I've shared many times before, and in light of graduation, um, for me, uh, when I graduated high school, I honestly had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, even right before like graduation, uh, my senior year, I was still debating uh, what to do with my life. Uh, was I going to just work at a fast food place? Was I just going to work for my parents? Was I just not going to work or, and just study for the rest of my life? Like, what was I going to do? Uh, I had no clue. Um, and, and, and even, even at that time, um, there was a lot of like pressure, obviously, uh, for you, the youth and for the kids. Uh, I'm sure you get a lot of pressure from your parents to do well in school and to become doctors, lawyers, or, um, or dentists, or uh, whatever the acceptable uh, jobs are uh, that Asian parents tend to give to their kids. Um, uh, there's always this pressure. And so in high school, I struggled with that pressure of like, man, what do I need to do with my life? What am I going to do with my life? Um, and as you guys know in my story, uh, it took me eight years to finally get an undergrad uh, degree, a four-year degree in eight years, uh, and to become a pastor. And it took me six years to decide that, to figure that out. Um, but as I changed my majors multiple times, I changed my major a total of three times, uh, and also went on a year-long mission trip to try to figure things out. Uh, throughout that journey, uh, for me to encounter these, these moments of difficulty, 
for for me to go through like these challenges and and difficult rough patches because obviously changing a major is not an easy thing to do and some of you college kids may may relate like yeah that's not easy like you put in the work to do this and you feel like you failed for me uh when i decided when i got out of uh, high school that i was going to be a dentist and then after studying and just not working out and and then changing my major twice afterwards i felt like a complete failure I had no hope. I just felt like there was nothing going good for me. Uh, and I wanted to give up. I just wanted to say, you know what? Like, like I don't want to do this anymore. Right? And there were moments in my, in my changing of my majors uh, that I honestly um, would, would seek you know, fun activities, go ride a motorcycle or uh, make music and spend hours playing video games or whatever it may be uh, as a way to like cope and to deal with this difficult moment in my life. Um, now, I share that with you and I'll share a little bit more in a little bit. Uh, but, but when we look at the life of Paul, right, uh, I, I can't help but, but kind of Put this connection between my life and Paul uh, in the sense that, that Paul responds to, to difficulties in his life in a very different way than I was, I was uh, handling it, right? For me, in my journey, it was like, dude, I just wasted my time. What am I doing? Like, like w- what am I going to do with my life, right? Uh, and I, very, I looked at it a very negative light. But Paul takes it a different direction. And uh, it's very interesting. Uh, but if you think about it, um, in the letter to the book of Timothy, uh, right, he talks about how he was betrayed by former believers and false teachers. right? And then later in his life, we know that he gets shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And he gets bitten by a snake there. Uh, in his letter to the Corinthians, if you're reading through that, you, you hear his story of him getting beaten. right? Some of Paul uh, church plants that he had gone about uh, building argued over like trivial matters and found themselves splitting up right and from what the bible says that he was arrested three different times and and yet his response to all of this we find in romans and we'll find in our scripture reading today right that that he tells the church to continue to love one another, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, right? To continue to hold on to the hope of Jesus' soon return, right? So what about us? Right? What about us? How should we react when life is hard? And if I think, you know, about the life of Paul and we look at the Bible, I think Paul lives a great example of that. But I'm not saying that this is something easy to accomplish. I'm not saying this is something that everyone has to do or everyone should be doing in the sense of, well, you don't have any other choice, right? And I'm not saying this is something that, that all of us can do because we say we're going to do it. There's so many like, like layers that we have to break down in understanding this and looking to Paul as an example. And I think it's, you know, obviously... Uh, I think when I say that we should be more like Paul and look at Paul as an example, I think we should be looking at him as a great role model and how we can respond to how life can be so difficult. Um, but, but one of the things that I want to pull out from looking at the life of Paul is, is what is the key? And, and as we look at the examples of many Bible characters, rather than saying like, well, well, let's just be exactly like him. What's the key behind why they're able to do that so that we can get to that point so we can be like that person? Uh, I always have to ask the question, what is the key? What's the secret missing piece that we're looking for that 
that they have and I obviously don't, right? Why is it that I fail to respond like them in moments like these? And, you know, after much thinking and thought, I think the answer and the secret is perspective, right? Now, let me share with you uh, a little bit about, obviously, my college experience and me trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. Um, you know, my perspective and every time that I changed my major, when I looked at the major changes and the direction I was going, at that time, I really had no idea, right? I had no idea what I was doing, what I wanted. I thought I was wasting time. I thought that my life was going to resort, resort to being a UPS driver for the rest of my life. No offense to, to people that deliver mail and whatnot. I really enjoyed that job and I really thought that that was going to be my career because it was something that I liked to do, right? I liked to drive around, deliver packages, uh, bring joy to people's faces, waiting for their you know, package that they ordered from Amazon or whatever it may be. Um, but for me, uh, the perspective every time I changed my major was, man, I'm a failure. Uh, this is worthless. I wasted two years of my life studying this. Why did I waste one semester studying music history when I'm never going to even teach music ever in my life? Uh, and I looked at all these events and these things that happened in my past uh, when I was in the past as wastes of time. And it's kind of the ideal of looking at the cup. Is it half full or half empty? And for me, it was always half empty. If anything, what was the point of having a cup of water, right? Uh, but I think the answer, when we look at the life of Paul, is the ideal of perspective, right? And I think it's perspective that allows Paul and many others of faith uh, have uh, uh, this confidence in God, right? You think of Job, Daniel, Abraham, Moses, Peter, right? And Paul. All of these people and so many more have this different perspective, okay? You see, when we look at the life of many greats of our faith, we could easily say that many of these people were actually failures, right? If we look at the materialistic standpoint, if we look at, at kind of the outside of these people, we could say that these people have run into walls their entire life, right? There are people that are considered outcasts, they're unwanted, they've messed up, they've made mistakes, right? If you look at the character of Paul very easily, we could say, you know, before he was Paul, he was literally a religious terrorist, right? For lack of better terms, that's all he would do. He would go around killing people for what he believed in. And whatever other people believed, he didn't take that as, as, as an answer. And so he would arrest them, torment them, and make their lives miserable, right? He, he was throwing people in prison. This guy was a madman, right? We could easily say and look at the life of Paul and say, dude, this guy was straight up a failure, right? This guy failed. He has an awful history and an awful past. Like, this guy's life, miserable, right? And, and not only Paul, life of Peter, Peter walking on the water, um, as I'm sharing in a Bible study with, with the junior high, early high school group, um, Paul, Peter, Peter is obviously, we could say, yeah, that guy failed, right? He walked out on the water and he sunk. Like, wow, what a loser, right? What, like, terrible guy. But, but hear me out. We could define Paul and many others as failures, but we have to look at this perspective, okay? Failure is not an event, but rather a judgment about an event. And I think this is very important when we look at things that happen in our lives, right? Failure isn't something that happens to us or a label that we just attach to things. It's the way that we think about outcomes, right? It's the way that we think about the event. So you see, we could look at Paul 
And we could say, or Saul, and we could say, yeah, he killed Christians, he was a madman, he had a problem, um, and he failed. Or we could look at Paul, and then we could say, yeah, well, his churches, they didn't get along. Like, he planted these churches, and they had so many issues. Like, look how many letters he had to write to these churches because of the problems they were having, right? He went to jail, right? He was imprisoned. He was beaten. We could easily describe and label these people as failures. But the powerful thing is this. Paul sees his obstacles, right? Paul sees his past. Paul sees his so-called failures and isn't defined by these things. Rather, he turns it back to God and uses it for his glory. And what's beautiful about this is that Paul, not only does Paul have a different perspective on his own life and his past, God also has a different perspective than that of this world, right? Uh, one, of a great, one of the great verses that we use, the second part of 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says this, it says, For the Lord does not see as man sees. For the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's the powerful thing about perspective, right? And I believe this is so important in understanding Paul. And, and despite everything that he had been going through, all the difficulty and the challenges and the failures that he may have faced, um, he was still able to point to God and find this ideal of contentment in him. That there was some kind of confidence and some kind of joy and some kind of comfort and peace. That despite all of those things that the world may look at and say, well, no good, right? That he was able to just look to God and say, hey, I still have God, right? Now, today, our scripture reading was found in Philippians 4, 11 to 13. And if, if not all of us, I'm sure many of us, a majority of us have heard this verse, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, or I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And it's interesting because a lot of the time, um, I feel like uh, this Bible verse loses its like oomph and its like power and, uh, 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 and, and the deeper meaning behind this statement because we like to focus so much on just verse 13, right? That I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, I remember as a child, I, uh, this was probably one of the first memory verses that I memorized, um, second to maybe John 3.16 or Jesus wept. Um, but, but one of the first verses that I, I remembered was Philippians 4.13. Uh, and because of its message, it's like, great, right? I would literally use this like in every aspect of my life. And I would say it to myself all the time. Like I look at a mirror and just like say it. I would think in my head, I would say it. I would be doing something and I would be thinking about this verse, right? I vividly remember uh, I was taking a spelling test in the third grade. And I, I remember I didn't study for the spelling test. Like every Friday we would have a spelling test and uh, I didn't study for this one. Uh, kids, please study, okay? Uh, but I remembered, uh, even though I didn't study, I remember Philippians 4.13, right? And so over and over again, I would repeat this verse in my head as I was taking this test. Um, and I was thinking like, dude, God's going to give me the strength and I'm going to ace this test very easily because, you know, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Jesus is going to give me strength. I'm going to pass this test, right? Um, the score of that spelling test has been long forgotten, and rightfully so. And I, <laughs> it's not necessary to me anymore because I, I think I'm pretty good at spelling. Um, but this verse tends to get taken a lot of the time out of its context in which Paul is writing. Um, 
and used in some ways that could be questionable. Another quick example I'll share is uh, when I used to work out uh, almost religiously, meaning almost all the time, very consistently back home in Alaska, you know, when I'd be lifting like heavier weights, I'd be like, I can do all things through Christ who's giving me strength, right? Because, you know, I don't want to drop it on me and I don't want to die. So, uh, you know, this verse tends to get taken out of context a lot of the time, right? Um, But I mean, let's be real, right? The message behind Philippians 4.13 is not bad, right? If we just took it for its face value, it's great, right? Yeah, you can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's beautiful, okay? God gives us strength and the comfort in knowing that is so powerful because with God, like really, what can we not do? But then when we look at verse 11 uh, and 12, the backing behind this It just becomes even more powerful, right? I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Now, let me give you a little bit of context first about this book. And so hopefully the meaning of this verse becomes so much more brighter uh, to you today. So first of all, the book of Philippians is considered one of Paul's prison books, okay, or prison epistles, uh, meaning that he most likely penned these letters while he was in some kind of confinement in some kind of prison situation, right? Now, scholars tend to argue uh, when this letter was penned or when he had written this letter, only because they're not sure which, which period of imprisonment he was in. Um, but most scholars can agree that it was within this time frame of his first Roman imprisonment, which was around 58 to 63 AD. So this is obviously towards closer towards the end of his life. One of his final last works uh, compared to um, the book of like Thessalonians and, and whatnot. Now, Paul, after some 35 years of ministry at this point, uh, going from church to church, facing oppression, facing challenges, facing failures, imprisonments, right, is able to sit down and pen these very words and write down this secret that he has found after reflecting over his life and all that he's in, despite the fact that he's sitting in a prison cell, right? And the very secret in being content in all and every situation is through Jesus who gives them strength, right? So we know that Paul is a huge advocate of talking about how Jesus, the gospel message, is what transformed his life and how he wants to share that with the rest of the world, okay? And, and this is something that he, he has learned through everything that has happened in his life. Now, I think this is, this is kind of interesting, um, but... One of the key words that I think we have to remember is that Paul says that he's not saying this because he's in need or he's in want or he has plenty, but he's saying that he has learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, right? I think that's the key to understand. This was not something that was given to him on a platter. This is something that he had to learn over time, meaning that this was when you have to learn something, you don't expect it to, you know, if I throw you a piece of paper, Uh, You don't just learn that piece of paper. You have to take the time to look at it. You have to take the time to digest it. And in the same way, Paul is reflecting and looking back on his life. And he is saying, hey, I have learned 
the secret. It has taken me years to find out that true contentment and true peace is through the strength in which Jesus Christ can give me, right? And I think that's so powerful. And Paul, he really takes this to heart, right? He knows that his time is coming to a close. He's in the situation of being in prison, right? He knows that eventually he will die for what he believes in. And, and for him, despite all of this, it's not the circumstances, right? It's not the situation that defines his contentment. It's Jesus who's defining his contentment. And likewise, it's not our present situations that define our contentment. It's Jesus who defines our contentment. You see, I think it's interesting how Paul says this. The reason why I think it's so important that we look at verse 11 and 12 is that, yes, the statement is powerful, the statement is bold, and the statement is so true. But it's like, this is the reason. This is the proof. This is his life being laid out on the pen and table and saying, this is why I can say that I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You know, if students, you would understand, and maybe you don't like this, that when a teacher gives you an assignment, a math assignment specifically, and says, what's, you know, 2x plus 3 equals 17, show work. Right? I used to not show my work on a lot of math problems, uh, and I'd always get zeros because he was like, I don't care if you get the wrong answer. Just show me your work. Right? In the same way, uh, we're skipping the work part right? and just giving the answer. But if we look at the work and look at the evidence and, and the conclusive thinking that Paul has been able to do while in prison, as he's looking back at his life, his ministry, and everything that has happened, and all the uncertainty that he had faced, that he has learned that he has his work, his proof, and his evidence, and his backing and able to say the very fact that, yeah, I can do everything. It's through Jesus Christ that allows me to do this, right? And, and you know, I think that's so powerful. When we look at our own, like, spiritual lives, and we look and reflect on the story that we tell to people, you know, I think it, Paul doesn't pull this out of thin air, Right? Very obviously, he's not thinking 2,000 years later, well, I need to write the work so that, that people don't like question why I said this. And Paul's not thinking this. Paul, from the heart, is speaking from his very own experiences, from his trials, his failures, and all that has happened. And so, so do we, as we share our Jesus story and how Jesus has changed our lives and how we can find contentment in Jesus to, to share the details, the, the, the examples, and, and from all the experiences that we face, Paul very clearly shares this with us and shares this with the, the church of Philippi and, and shares this brilliant, beautiful story of how he can find his contentment, his comfort, and his peace through the life of Jesus. Paul says that the secret for him being so content is none other than Jesus Christ. You know, church, I, I know things can be very confusing, especially at a time like now with everything that's happening. The crazy events that started at the beginning of this year, like, who would have thought, right? When this all first happened, you know, my first and initial reaction was, where do we go from here, right? What, what's next? What do we do as a church? 
As God's people, what are we supposed to do in, in light of the calamities that we are facing in the year 2020? And I'm sure as, as, as time has gone on by, and as you reflect on kind of how things are now, uh, we've gotten so accustomed and used to this online life, right? Zoom and, and the routine of being at home and how this is really the new norm. And, and for you younger kids, it's like, oh, well, like I get to be home all day. And, and this is just kind of how life is now, right? Everyone has to wear a mask. You see, this is the thing. My greatest fear is that we get too comfortable and we become too content with the circumstances and the things of this world. And we lose sight of the fact that our contentment should be in Jesus. Because you see, before 2020 happened, as we gathered actually on the very first day of this year to eat Korean porridge at the church, right? I remember sitting with the youth and with seeing all the church people and talking about what do you want to do in 2020? What do you see yourself doing? What are your goals, your dreams, your aspirations? We were all excited as we jumped into the year 2020, laughing and talking. And then all of a sudden, all of our comforts, everything was simply just taken away like that. Life changed so instantly. And all of a sudden, everyone had fear in their lives, right? We all experienced this moment of, oh my goodness, like what is going on? What is happening, right? We started to build fear and these walls around our hearts. We got to protect our family. We got to stay safe from the virus. We got we to gotta avoid going outside to, to deal with things like racism and prejudice and the staring eyes. We have to, to, to maintain as much money as possible. My, my financial future, my future plans for school, for college. Like we all started to have this fear and this uncertainty build up in our lives when everything was taken away. And for me and for many of you, I'm sure at one point you got on your knees and you prayed to God and you said, God, Lord, like give me the answer. Like give me some clarity. Like what in the world is going on? But, but fast forward and we look at ourselves now and things seem to be normal and, and everyone is just getting antsy and wanting to get out of the house and just go back to normal daily living. We, we seem so content with, with just how things have become. And it's almost like we forgot the fear and the panic that, that, that entered into our lives when everything was initially taken away. You see, church, I pray that we don't fall into this contentment of the things of this world, with this contentment of the way that things are. Because you see, when things hit the fan and life seems to fall apart again, like what are we going to do then? Are we going to get stuck in this cycle of, of seeking God and finding Him only in our worst moments? Or are we going to take the time to rise up and find our contentment in something else that is constant? Right? Rather than the inconsistencies and, and the world that has so many un, 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 inconsistent moments where things are stable one second and unstable the next. Will we continue to put our comfort, our content into these things or in something that is more constant like God? Something that will never change. Something that will truly remind us of the joy of life 
despite the things that we find ourselves in. You see, for the past five weeks, this series has been really uh, encouraging and really profound to me because in moments of fear is when we typically seek God and find Him. But I want to challenge you, church, to break out of this cycle and in this mold. That is, we look at these five different characters of our Bible and see how each of them held on to a constant in their life, God, in order to carry them through these times of uncertainty. Things may be going back to normal soon. We may be going back into our routine and thinking that life will just get back to the same. But before that even happens, and before we can, can commit to just living life the way that things used to be, I pray that our, content, our, con, our contentment, our, our status of where we put our, 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 our mind, our, our everything, is not in things of this world, but ultimately in God. I pray that we can find comfort and peace in knowing that Jesus is always going to be there for you and I. This is my prayer for you, church, as we wrap up this series. Let's pray.